Hello and welcome. Hello. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and dive in. We have a lot to cover tonight. Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you for joining us. Obviously, you guys saw what the message is going to be about tonight, and I'm super excited, super expectant for what God wants to do. This message has been in place in my heart for a good six years now, and um, I, it just feels like such a massive moment that, it, that it's time now to share. So thank you for joining us. And I just, before we start, I just, I need to say this, that if you are in an abusive situation in any way, shape, or form with your um, church or with somebody in authority or with somebody that is supposed to be over you, then tonight's message is actually not for you. Then I have some other videos on that, but I'm not talking about abusive situations tonight. I'm talking about um, hearts that are hurt, and I'm talking about walking some stuff out. That's really what I want to unpack tonight. But again, this is not for abusive situations. And so um, if you're in that situation and you need help, by all means, reach out to me, and I would love to, to see what I could do to actually help you and to walk you through that. Um, I also just want to put a really quick disclaimer out there and say that I'm not talking about a church, that tonight I'm going after and I'm talking about the church. And I just want to say that I love the church. I am so thankful that with my upbringing and my childhood that there, um, not a lot of things went right. But my mom was convinced that we needed to be at church every Sunday. And we would fight the whole way there in our black patent leather shoes. And um, man, we were there every single Sunday. And although I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, she introduced me to, to who this man Jesus was. And it laid a foundation for me that maybe there was a future and there was hope. Um, after that, as I was raised in the Lutheran church, and I'm just so thankful for that. Um, when I had my near-death experience, I was um, connected with a community church, and this was a word-loving church. We were at church as a singles group probably five nights out of the week, and they laid down this incredible foundation in our minds and in our hearts about what does the word have to say about things. And um, it was super, super thankful for that. When I got married, we kind of, you know, we're two different streams of our backgrounds and what we were used to. So it kind of took a while to find the right church. But we finally um, found a church that we both agreed upon. And it kind of was the church that we came home back home to. And that church was so significant. And it was the church where I became a single mom and how uh, just my community, what it meant to me at that time in that season. I um, it's also when I started to understand the things of the Holy Spirit a little bit more. And so I was so thankful to have a um, church on Saturday that we would drive 30 minutes um, north to be a part of. And the kids got to play in the healing rooms at such a young, young age. And we attended the Saturday night service. And then on Sunday, we would drive about 45 minutes down south um, to Denver, where um, they had just the most unbelievable spirit-filled children's program. And uh, we went down there so that my kids could play, into the king play in the kingdom. And then obviously for the last six years, we have been out here in Reading, and we've actually been involved in different levels with two different ch churches out here. I bless them. I love them. I honor them. I'm super thankful to be exposed to both of them. And so when, I, when I'm talking tonight about church, 
I am not talking about a church. I am talking about the church. So I just feel like that is super important that I clarify that. And I just want to give you a little bit of a backstory too and tell you that several months ago, I heard the Lord say, Lisa, you have taken the Let the Children Fly method and brought it into your family room. And now I want you to take the Let the Children Fly method and I want you to bring it into my family. And I knew that he meant the church. And I'll be honest with you and tell you that that terrified me. And for three days, I just kind of had this anguish inside me more about um, this, you know, when God tells you to do something, you know it's going to be good and you know you can trust him. But sometimes it takes a while for your heart to catch up or for you to, um, you know, you just got to surrender it sometimes. And there was about three days where I just was like, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. It just felt scary. I felt like I was in my lane in the family um, and, and with um, parents and jumping lanes or moving into a different lane. Just didn't, It just didn't feel very safe to me. But you know, how many of you know, sometimes you have to say yes to the Lord before you get the greater revelation. And so I finally just laid it down and I said, Lord, I said, I don't understand this. I do not get what you're doing, but you have my yes because I trust you and because you are good. And it was after that, I just, this peace flooded me and I thought, boy, you're onto something here, Lord. And so, um, so about the very next day after I said, yes, all hell broke loose. And I'm not kidding when I say all hell broke loose. I ended up having, um, I lost a really, really good friend of mine. And for anybody that's been through that, that's super painful. Felt um, very misunderstood in the process. And um, come on, that hurts. That really, really hurts. And on top of it, I found a, uh, another tumor. And I had, um, this is my third one that I have found of the same thing that my mom had died of. So walking that out on top of losing and grieving my dear friend who would have normally been there for me, come on, it was just really hard. And I just, have you ever been in seasons where you just feel like the fire is so hot that if it gets turned up one half of a degree, you're going to burn. You're, gonna, you're just absolutely going to combust. combust. Have you ever had a situation where you just feel like God is just wringing you out like a towel, like a wet towel? And I thought, one more God, and I'm not so sure I'm going to make it. It was that significant for me of, of a moment. But in the back of my mind, I had this, this awareness because I tell parents all the time, that when all hell is breaking loose in your homes, it's generally because there's parts of hell that needs to be broken loose. And because I was so aware of that, in the back of my mind, while I'm going through all this um, hell breaking loose in my life, after I said yes to him, I had this awareness, man, you are onto something, God, and I want to partner with you. I want to partner with what it is that you are doing. And so the dust settled a little bit, and I um, sat down with him, and I just said, okay, Lord, if this is what you're going to do with me, then I've got to get your heart then you, I want to just sit with a pen and paper. I just want to listen to whatever it is that you want to say. And the Lord said this specifically. As he said, Lisa, as he said, I want you to share with my sons and daughters who are hurting, who are afraid, who are confused, who feel rejected and isolated in my house, that these people are feeling this in my house. And I want you to tell them that now is the time to talk. Now is the time. And I feel like silence has brought so much extra heartbreak into the church that we go through things in the church as a church family. And there's this, there's this, we're bound, we're, we have like a gag order of silence on us. And I just feel like the Lord is breaking that tonight. He's breaking that gag order. He's breaking that, that sense of silence that is over us, that it's the truth that sets us free, not sugarcoating things. And God wants us to walk in truth. Then he wants us to walk in the reality of what, of, of like, our, like owning in the reality of, of our circumstances and so that we can get some of this stuff out. 
um, you know, and, and what that looks like, or I should say what that doesn't look like, is it does not look like going on social media. It does not look like rejecting people. It does not look like exposing them. It does not look like um, um, calling them out or getting everybody against them. Do, do we do that in our families? When you have a situation with a family member as a parent, do you get everybody against them? Do you reject them? Do you publicly display it for everybody to see? Not at all. You, you cover them in the midst of getting that pain out for the sake of your family. What I do, come on, I've got four kids, and they're, they're great, amazing kids. But we have flesh, and we have pride, and we have orphan stuff going on, and we have bad attitudes, and, and we have bad days, and they hurt each other, and they, um, they're not always kind to each other. And sometimes as a parent, as a mom, I call a family meeting. And in a family meeting, this is where the family is heard. This is where the family works through issues. This is where we increase our capacity to understand and to love and to lay down our lives and to, and to be more like Jesus to each other. And we don't leave family meetings with greater conflict. We leave family meetings together and in unity. And so I'm just calling a family meeting in the body of Christ today. I'm calling a family meeting tonight, and I'm telling you that those that have been hurt, bruised, misunderstood, or feel rejection or isolated, isolation in the church, that we're going to have a family meeting, and we're going to talk about some of that stuff tonight for the purpose of healing and the purpose of unity by the end. Um, I, I want to ask you, when you think of, I know many of you have encountered different hurts that you, in, in the church that you guys have been walking through, and I want to ask you, when I say that, when I say give your pain a voice, what, does, what goes on inside you? Now, I'm not talking about how do you feel with me specifically. I'm talking about inside your own heart. Do you feel like when I say that, are you, are you feeling like, oh, like I'm, I have to go talk to like a like, like gang member where it's like fear and intimidation and you're super, super scared? Or does it feel like you're having a conversation with like a Billy Graham, just a safe, safe father, and you're just going to go ahead and walk through some of that stuff? Which one does it feel like in your heart? And the reason why I'm asking this is because if you're feeling fear and intimidation in giving your voice, giving your pain a voice, maybe we're not in the right operating system. That I just, I don't think that that's God's kingdom where he says, I'm going to allow you to get into situations to grow you and to increase your capacity, but you can't talk about it. And that we have fear and that we have, we have intimidation. I just don't think that that's God's kingdom. And I, I feel like, man, if we could just connect to his heart when we are walking through some of the pain or being misunderstood or, or, or our, our circumstances, we would see the beauty of what he's having us walk through so much more than just seeing the pain. All right, that's awesome. Um, um, I want to go after something specific. And again, please hear me. I'm not talking about a church. I am talking about the church. I have seen this in churches all over. I don't think this is just even an American issue. Um, but I've seen that there's this, there's this thing called honor, and it looks like silence. Honor does not look like silence. Honor looks like there's a biblical thing where God says this is what honor looks like. And silence and gag order is not a part of that. And I want to I wanna share it for you guys in testimony form, how God started teaching me about this. So I had a father who was, um, or a dad, who took my online class. And he had the revelation that he really kind of had a block with Father God. And so he came to me and he asked if we could do some ministry. Not a problem. I've, I've done that before. And I'm, I'm certainly used to, to helping people connect with Father God. It's, it's something I'm super passionate about. 
And so as we're doing this ministry, it was like there was just this really strange block that I've not really come up against before with people. And so we're sitting with God just, you know, what is this? What do you want us to see? And finally, this man said to me, as he said, Lisa, you're asking me to do something that I cannot do. And I said, well, what am I asking you to do? And he said, you're asking me to, um, to dishonor my parents. And I thought, oh, wow, we're onto something. There's a key here. Because in his culture, honor looked like silence. Honor looked like you can't speak about anything that's negative that's going on. And I told him, I said, um, yes, you absolutely um, are, uh, come from a culture that excels in honoring and the rest of the world would benefit by sitting at your feet and learning some of this. But I said, um, learning more about honor. But I said, but there's a part of honor that, ha that, is a, that is not how Father God has intended for it to be used. And I said, let's ask Jesus if you actually have permission to dishonor your mother and father in order to be able to come to the Father and hear what he has to say about it so you can get the healing and you can get reconnected to Father God. And then you can go back and you can honor your mother and father the way that God has intended. Come on, that's a super interesting ministry where you're acting where you're asking Jesus, do I have permission to dishonor my mother and father? And again, it's not God's definition of honor. It's an inferior definition of honor. And um, this man had tremendous breakthrough. He's, um, he and his family have continued to be really close friends of mine. And, and it was a really life-changing um, uh, ministry time for him. But it taught me something. It taught me the key of how many people feel like they're walking in honor. And really, it's an inferior honor that's keeping pain and hurt in instead of coming and bringing it to the Lord and letting the Lord do something about that. So anyways, thank you, Jesus, for that. Um, um, I, I feel like we have to come to a place that we are willing to acknowledge the pain that is in our heart and we are willing um, to, to let it get out. And I feel like, you know, where have we been taught that it's not okay to talk about this? Where have we been taught that that honor looks like perfection or honor looks like there's no problems. I mean, come on. Do you ever go through that in your homes? Do you have that with your families where it's like everything is just perfect all the time and we don't ever have any problems. We don't ever have any conflict. That is like so not family. You don't have to create problems. They just happen naturally. And again, if we're, if we're robbing ourselves of acknowledging the pain that's going on, we might be robbing ourselves of the bigger picture and the purpose in which, uh, of, of what God is allowing to happen. Maybe it's not revival what we should be going after, but it's reviving the body. Come on, there are so many people in the body of Christ that are so backlogged with toxic emotions and toxic um, experiences that are not healing properly. There's no way that the body can function the way that it's supposed to be functioning when you have half of it that's asleep or bogged down with stuff that needs to be flushed out. I don't know why we're so, we've become so afraid of this, um, but the body of Christ needs a good detox from the hurts, lies, and offenses that they are experiencing and they're walking through. It's as if the, the liver and the, and the heart are slowing down because of some of the, the toxicity that has been built up. All right, so people are leaving the church. Um, the younger generation is leaving the church, and it's not because they're leaving faith, and it's not because the donuts weren't good that there's something else that's going on, that you've got God's perfect kingdom, you've got God's perfect love, and you've got 
You've got the father, and yet what's the disconnect over here? And I honestly believe that we're onto something, that, 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 that this is a huge key to restoring the families to be revived in the body of Christ. Okay, so I feel like um, we got to go there. We got to go there tonight. And um, I, I believe in David's example with Saul that we don't touch the anointed. We don't touch God's anointed people. And it doesn't matter how much hurt, pain, or evidence we have. I don't want to say against somebody. That doesn't sound right. But it doesn't matter. It, God still says, you don't touch my anointed. And, and furthermore, I believe that Father God is a really good father. And I believe that he knows how to manage his household. I believe that Jesus Christ is a really good head of the church. And he knows what he's doing inside the body. And, um, you know, if, if part of our response to dealing with some of this hurt is to attack certain people, then, then we're no better than the hurt that's been done to us. And so we have to understand what it looks like. The first thing is, is we're not going to touch the anointed and we're not going to go we're not going to tear people down, number one. And the other thing is we're not going to hurt somebody else in the process of getting our hearts healed. We're not going to do that. That's just not God's kingdom. So if something has been brought out of God's kingdom, we're not going to go, um, this side out of God's kingdom to bring it back. We're going to do it this way, and we're going to do it the way that God says. So I want to highlight for a few moments, I want to highlight um, some of the biggest reasons that I have seen that people get their hearts hurt within the church. This is not an exhaust exhaustive list. Obviously, we're talking about <laughs> millions of different stories and different situations. But I feel like I, I, over the years, I keep hearing the same thing being repeated in different churches across the world. And so I just want to highlight a couple of things. I just want to speak into some of it. So the first reason is judgment. This is judgment. This is where um, people come into the church, and instead of encountering the love of the Father and the love of community and the love of people, they're encounter, encountering judgment. And I just, you know, you see this all over social media, and I just want to scream. I just, I want to scream, and I don't understand why the body of Christ doesn't fully see this quite yet. And I, I just, man, if, if the scales could come off of our eyes um, in this area alone, I think the church, the people would receive the church so much better. And, and when, I, when I sat in my hospital bed and I realized, okay, I need a Savior, and I was walking through those steps of, of receiving Jesus Christ, you know, I made a personal choice to surrender my life for him. And together, we've been walking this out for almost 25 years, 25 years now. But when I accepted Christ, I, I signed up for me. I, I signed up for myself, which means when I read the word of God, this gives me instructions and encouragement and hope for me that I can't take that word of God that gives me the outline for a lifestyle and I can't take that and throw that on somebody else and say, okay, let me back up. I believe the word of God is the truth. I believe that at the final hour, we are all going to be judged and, and we are going to be judged according to what it says in the word and that is the final authority. But I am the one that has come underneath that. The rest of the world has not. So when I take this book and I throw it over someone and I say, you're a little too messy, you're a little too dirty, you kind of stink a little bit, you're not quite ready to come on in, that's not the way it works. That's just, it's not the way it works when we judge people because they're not yet, um, they're not yet redeemed. They're not yet walking in the revelation that the sons and the daughters are. You, you do, you see this all over social media where people say, you know, 
Um, you can't live like that. You can't say that. Or that's not how believers are. Yeah, you're right. That's how believers act. That's not for the world. And we're judging people as if we're standing at the, at the, the doors of the church saying, you're not ready yet. You're not pretty enough. You're not pretty yet on the inside. You're not, you're not, you haven't given up your lifestyle yet. You're a little too messy. Who appointed somebody to stand at the guard or stand at the door and be a guard of the, of the church of Jesus? Nobody. Jesus has said, I died and I gave my life for all the smelly, dirty people that are walking in sin and filth and whatever. I gave my life for everyone. So why as the body of Christ are we not partnering with that? And I just, I feel like that's one of the biggest reasons why I hear that the body of Christ or that, that, that people have been hurt by the church, that there's been an expectation of them that they would have had the fruit of the power of God before they actually get a chance to, be, to meet the, the power of God. And so um, I want to share a real precious testimony with you in my own journey of being, becoming a daughter. And there was, um, I was called the black sheep of the family when I um, was growing up. And, um, you know, then I became a believer and I'm adopted and now I'm a, a daughter. But there's a journey of learning how to own that and walk in that. So it's already done, it's available, but I'm learning how to embrace that and, and the full revelation of that. And so I was doing this ministry and um, with somebody else, they were, they were doing it with me. And the whole thing about black sheep came back up. And there was this, this sense that I was operating from a position of a black sheep. And so as I was processing that with the Lord, I was like, okay, Lord, black sheep, is, it's not inner healing. It's not anything I have to cast out. It's simply just a mindset position that, that's inferior to what God has actually given me. And so, I, you know, come on, Jesus loves doing fun ministry. And so I'm tracking with him and I'm like, Jesus, how do you do this? So like if black sheep is like, it's not really who I am. It's kind of like I'm wearing like a costume of a black sheep. So how do you like take that off and just walk in, you know, your whiteness and the righteousness and whatever. It was kind of, I was just having fun with Jesus. And all of a sudden I saw Jesus come in this ministry time and he was, he was serious. And he came to me like an Australian farmer and he picked up that sheep with, like, with all of his strength. And he took like these, these shears or these scissors and he started to take off all of the wool, the black wool on the sheep. And it was really involved. It really, it, it was just captivating my heart watching Jesus come and take off all the black, the, um, the black wool. And the moment that all the wool was off, the, the, um, the black, the sheep, which was me, was naked and was vulnerable. And the sheep, there wasn't like a, now would you like to go to the flock? The sheep, uh, me as the sheep, automatically went into the middle of the flock and was protected in the nakedness, in the, in the being bare and exposed. I was protected against all these bigger sheep that had thick matted fur on, I keep saying fur, but um, wool on them. And there was this sense of protection and there was this sense of being covered and, and having um, authority over me. And it was just so beautiful. And I asked the Lord after that, I said, Lord, I said, why did you need to shave me? Why, I, help me to understand what was the significance of being shaved? And he said, Lisa, because you needed time to grow your own wool. That yes, it's there, it's available, it's, you don't have to do anything, that it's just a natural occurrence. But he was saying, it's okay to be naked. It's okay to come into God's flock and to have less fur or, or wool. It's okay to be in a process and in a journey of growing that out and maturing. And I love that because there's no expectation 
that you need to be up here or that you need to start here. I don't care if you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years. There's still going to be more. There's still going to be a, a deeper revelation that you're not there yet. And I just sometimes I think in the body of Christ, we've missed the fact that people are on journeys, that they are on journeys. All right, we just blessed my technology here because it looks like it's kind of getting funny, but we bless it. Anyways, so the body of Christ, um, we don't want to be hurting people when they come into the door and they don't yet have the full revelation or the power or have experienced the power of God. All right, and I just, I just want to take the keys of heaven. I just want to take the keys of heaven that Jesus died for, and I just want to unlock Anybody that has been told that you are not ready, you are not acceptable for the body of Christ, I just want to say, Jesus, Jesus has opened up the gates for you, that he has opened up the house wide for you, and there's no such thing as a gatekeeper in God's house. So we just unlock that part of your heart right now, and we just say, come on back, come on back, that we need you in the body of Christ. Okay, here's going to be a big one. The second reason that I see that people get hurt in the church, and come on, guys, I'm not sure that there's going to be a single person that has ever stepped foot in a church that has not encountered this. And, and um, track with me to the end, okay? Um, but the second thing is just there's orphan leaders. There's, there's leaders who have not had the full revelation that they are sons and daughters, and they are put in leadership positions, and they're leading from a orphan place. I remember I heard somebody say, um, well, the only reason why I'm a pastor, I took the job is there were no other jobs available. And I just remember my heart felt so scared. Come on, being a pastor or being, being in the church and having, you don't have to be even in the church, just in ministry and having a responsibility over other people's lives. It's holy. It's sacred. It's what God has been doing in somebody's life or in their generation for hundreds and thousands of years. And you have the opportunity to speak in that and help mold and shape and, and bless and encourage and, and, and spur them on to who they're supposed to be. There's a redemption process. We don't just, we don't just take a job and we don't just, <laughs> that's cute. We don't just take a job and we're not just, we're not just doing work. We're partnering with the eternal. We're partnering with that which is going to be recorded in the, in the book of heaven, like in, in the courts of heaven for forever. Like this, there's a holy sacredness to this, and that there are some people that have been that have been put in the job of overseers that um, well, that they're doing it as a job and they're not doing it from the anointing and from the calling and from the from the partnership with God. They're not doing it from the place of of um, being connected to the Father's heart or from hearing God. They're just doing the work. They're doing the work. People are going to get hurt. If they come to the church and they're looking for that spiritual, that spiritual um, anointing for that connection with Father God, and instead of they're getting the job description or they're getting the tasks, um, when churches manage the flock or they manage the church like it's a corporation, and they 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 manage versus lead and and shepherd and 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 our pastors, there's going to be problems. There's going to be problems that we are not called to manage the church. It's not a corporation. It's not a business. It's, it's sacred. It's, there, there's a spiritual aspect to all of this, and we're, we're going to miss it. The Lord really, as he was having me camp out in this, is he was just talking and, and was showing me. He showed me through dreams. He showed me through prophetic words. It grieves the Holy Spirit 
when churches are, are operated like a managing, like they're managing a business and it hurts his people. It hurts what he's doing in their lives and what he's been doing in the generations. Um, the church is a family. It's not a business. Messy people are allowed. They are allowed just like they're allowed in family because God is doing a process in the family. They are allowed. Messy people are allowed in the church. The only brand that our church should be is the brand of Jesus Christ. And he represents every tongue, every tribe, every race, every nationality, every personality. He, he represents every journey and every step in the journey. And how many times have people, I've heard this a lot, how many times do people go to a church and like, well, I don't fit the brand? What brand? It's the brand of Jesus. That, that's the brand that our churches should be modeling after. And I get social media and marketing, and I get all that. But, but we're going to hurt people. If we have a brand and somebody is of Jesus, is created in, Jesus, in, in God's image, and they're coming, they're like, oh, I don't, I don't feel like I fit here because I don't fit the brand. People are going to get hurt. Um, I want to say this about orphan leadership. You can have a leader, an overseer, a ministry leader, whatever, um, that is, is super anointed, is super gifted, or is an outstanding leader in all sorts of these areas, but there can be one part of their heart that is still orphaned. And, and when, when somebody comes into the church and they have an interaction with that orphan part, it can be super isolating because you look around and you're like, no, 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 they're super, they're anointed, they're blessed, they're, they're powerful, they're amazing, they're popular. And yet your, your encounter and your situation with them doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel loving. And because there's, there's a part of, for them, that is still going on a journey of becoming a full son or a full daughter. And I just, I feel like I've, I've heard this so many times, how isolating it can be for somebody who, who has a hurt or a pain because they had an orphan experience with somebody in leadership. And yet you look around and you're like, something must be so wrong with me because everybody else loves them or because they're so anointed or so popular. I just feel like that's the wrong mentality. The mentality is that you can discern your interaction with them and you can discern it was like, that just didn't feel right. That just didn't feel loving. But we don't want to judge the whole person as not right. But we want to look at that. We want to say there's a part of them that is still on their journey. They're still on their journey. And, and, and there is pain when leaders operate out of an orphan heart or an orphan place in their life. Um, the truth is that when, when we get triggered or when leaders get triggered, it's a good thing. It's a super, super good thing. Because what it is is it's revealing the places inside of us that need Jesus that need Jesus, that need an encounter, that need to be um, have greater revelation of who we are or who he is, it's actually a good thing when we have that because we to not have that ever is heaven. And we don't live in heaven. We live in a fallen world. And come on, how many of you can say in your families you've never had any refinement? You've never had any conflict? You've never had any of that? It's because it just, it's, not, it's not how the earth operates. We do have those places where we're like, ooh, I need Jesus there. Ooh, I need to be more like Jesus there. Those triggers can be used for good by God's design. Um, if parents or leaders are operating from the orphan heart, there's going to be dysfunctional children. It's, it, it, it's impossible not to have that because it is an inferior kingdom. It is the wrong kingdom that's being released into that situation. And there's just going to be dysfunction. There's going to be dysfunction. So we judge it by the fruit. And that's the place that we can go after. 
Um, uh, this part, I know that, um, uh, um, many of you are going to relate to this, that when somebody is operating in authority and there is an orphan part in their heart, they often feel the orphanness in them makes them feel weak, inadequate, or uncomfortable with somebody that comes in or wants to bring something new or that um, is different or that is um, 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 outside of normal. Can I say that? And so there's, there's like an uncomfortableness place inside, and that's the orphan speaking. And so what they do is they take a fire hose to try to extinguish that mess or that person or that to calm the other person down because that person is touching on that orphan or that uncomfortable place inside of them. But what happens is they generally use the fire hose of fear, intimidation, of anger, of shame, of, of um, squelching that person. And normally that person is just a, just a, um, uh, a little, like a two-year-old in the spirit who's just trying to figure out who they are and using their gifts for the first time. Maybe they're doing it messy or maybe they're doing it slappy. But if you have an or part of an orphan as a, as a leader and that makes them feel uncomfortable, there's like a squelching that happens and it, with a fire hose and it completely shuts them down. And this is the part where, um, uh, this is the part in the church where people get shut up and they get shut down. And there's a lot of pain in that. I want us to understand this. When we're parenting a child, we are raising that child to be physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually safe first, and then alive. So we want them to grow and flourish, and and but it, but there's a lot of like in the body, in the natural. Does that make sense? It's the nature of a parent. Hold my hand, eat your vegetables, all that kind of stuff. When people come to the church, it's not so much the physical. Like, do you have shelter? Do you have food? Do you have this? There's some of that, obviously. But but the but the the core of it is getting people to understand their identity and destiny. Their identity and destiny. So people come and they're starting to awaken. And you can be 50 years old and just learn your identity for the first time. And they're in the church and they're starting to awaken. And like I said a couple minutes ago, they do it messy. They do it immature. They do it sloppy. They don't do it perfect. They create messes. And if you have a leader that does not know who they are in that situation, or there's, there's, there's that orphaness, and it, something gets shut down, this is what happens to the receiver of that. The greatest form of rejection is when somebody says, who you are or what you carry is not acceptable. It's like looking at artwork, and you're not just saying, I don't really like that, those color, the colors, I don't really like the shape or the style. You're actually taking that entire artwork, and you're throwing the artwork away, and you're saying, I don't want any part of the artwork. So destiny is why we are created. It's our purpose on earth. It's, 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 you can't, it's not personality. It's not my looks. It's not my flesh. It's not my weaknesses. It's who I am. It's who God knit me together to be in my mother's womb. And when somebody in the church says, yeah, yeah, uh-uh, it there does something significant to the receiver in that to shut them down. Um, yeah, we do not want to be doing that. There's there's a lot of hurt in the body of Christ because of the misunderstanding with that. Um, many want the fruit of God. Come on, many want the fruit of God. I tell parents this all the time, but sometimes we don't have the fruit of God because we're not using the tools of God. 
And when we use the tools of shutting someone down or dismissing somebody or disempowering them, or even if they're messy, even if they're immature and we are completely squelching them, we don't, we're not using the tools of God. We're not using the tools of heaven and we're not going to bear the same fruit. We're not going to bear the fruit that we're desiring. Um, I know it's been said many times, but an orphan leader uses their power and authority to, to come over somebody to make sure that their heart and whatnot feels safe. But, a, but a, um, a, a, a son and a daughter uses their anointing and uses their leadership to come under somebody to help bring them up and to help bring them um, uh, into a greater fulfillment of who they are. I was recently on a team with a a real young 20-year-old, and it was the first time she was stepping out. So she was trained, but she hadn't actually done this before. And I felt so, my heart just rose up for her. And I told her, I said, you know, I said, it's super important that when you're releasing words and doing ministry, that we do it with excellence and that we do it just, you know, really tracking with God and that we have to, we have to steward it. We have to be careful that we're, um, that we're really doing it in this, with the spirit and, and partnership with God. But I said, I know this is your first time, and I just want to let you know that I have your back. I have your back, and um, you just have the freedom just to go for it. And I said, I'm right here, and I'll catch you. I'll walk beside you. Like, you don't have to have any fear of doing it perfect the first time. Just step out and be a good daughter, and I have your back in that. Um, I want to ask, so with orphan, orphan leadership, has this happened to you? Um, has this happened to you? Have you been in a situation where you have been mistreated, neglected, hurt, that you've had pain, that you felt rejection, shame, abandonment, even cruelty or judgment or anger at the hands of a leader who had a part of them that was still operating as an orphan? I know, I know that people have. I know that people in the body of Christ have. If we're going to be honest, we have. And I, I know because I hear about this often. You have the power, and you have the, um, you are positioned by God in that situation to bring heaven on earth and to change that situation. It looks like this. When you have a parent that is not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and they're bringing hardship and pain to a child, we call social services. In America, we call social services. And we say, hey, Johnny's not safe. Johnny's not being taken care of the way that he needs to be taken care of. But in the spirit realm or in the church, we don't call social services. We don't call social media. We don't go get all of our friends. We don't, um, we don't take them out publicly. We don't turn against them. We don't call social services. We go to holy services. And this is the time. It doesn't matter what anybody else sees with that leader. If you have experienced an orphan part of their leadership, you have that God has given you the eyes to see and you can walk in your authority and you go to holy services and you start praying for them and you start praying that they would have an encounter, that that part of them that is orphan, that part of them that is probably orphaned from their own hurt and pain, and you start going after the heavenlies for them and you start interceding on their behalf and you start going after that God would, God would encounter them with his love and bring them into the fullness of who they are. And, and what you're saying is you, you can go tattletale on God. You can, uh, you can go tattletale on the person with Father God. So you're not tattletaling to get them in trouble. You're tattletaling through prayer to keep them from, from getting in trouble or from making a bigger mess with other people. You can say to Father God, oh, 
this person, this son, this daughter of yours. Thank you for the calling on their life. Thank you for their anointing. Thank you for all the fruit that is coming out of their lives. But Lord, when I encountered and I had interactions with that person, it didn't feel like you. It, I did not experience you when I had a connection with them. It didn't feel right, Father God. There's something in that that is off. And so, Father God, I ask for you to encounter that place, encounter that place so that nobody ever else has to have an experience the way I experienced that person. Jesus, capture them. Go get that part of their heart. And this is where we don't just sit and complain about people. This is about, this is the place where we become powerful. And this is the place that we become um, agents of God's kingdom when we have eyes to see because of what we've experienced. We get to actually do something about it. Come on, you guys, this is good. We don't just sit in our pain and we don't just say that hurts so they're not good or they're bad. We actually get involved by God's design to do something about it. Thank you, Jesus. Um, yeah, I want to say this. I want to speak this over you. The pain that an orphan leader has caused you in your life does not disqualify you anymore than if a father, a dad, was physically abusive to his daughter, it doesn't disqualify her. Yes, there's some emotional pain that she's going to have to work through because of that, but his abuse does not disqualify her worth and value and her contributions to the family. So when you are, when you are coming up against some pain with an orphan leader, or there's, there's parts of the leader that is orphan, that does not disqualify you from the kingdom of God or from your role into the family. And I just want to add to with this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those of you, many of you in the body of Christ, who have encountered the painful interaction of being led by an orphan or being led by somebody that is not doing it from a place of a son and daughter. That it is not okay that you've experienced that. And I just, I'm sorry that that's happened to you. I realize what a, what a painful place that can be. And I also just feel like the Lord was highlighting as I was going through this and, and praying for you. I felt like the Lord was highlighting, wow, there's so many of you walking in honor. There's so many of you that are wanting to be protective of the leaders and you're wanting to be protective of, uh, you, you don't want to create conflict. You don't want to create um um, uh, uh, um, you know, gossip or backstabbing. You're actually trying to walk in honor. And I just feel like the Lord was highlighting that. And the Lord sees your heart, but he wants you set free from that. He wants you set free from that. And if you have encountered that, then you have eyes to see uh, um, insight into somebody else's life. And you have the privilege and the honor of, of interceding on their behalf to call them up into a higher a higher level. I just think that's beautiful. I think that's so family, and I think that's so God. Okay, the third reason that I see why parents, I'm sorry, why to, um, people are so hurt in, in the church is because you, they, do not fully understand um, that you, um, about orphan. I've got to interrupt this for one second. Hey, Lauren. My battery is about ready to die, so we're going to grab my child and ask them to help me. So anyways, so the, the third reason is we are operating as orphans. You know, I saw this. Baby, my battery is about ready to die. Could you grab my um, charger like a sweetheart and plug me in? Come on. I forgot about my battery. Anyways, so um, I saw this vision years ago, and it was of leaders. Again, I'm not talking about any particular place. It was just leaders in general. And they were standing on a stage, like a platform, 
And in front of them were all sorts of white buckets. And so, thank you, baby, you are amazing. And so it looked like, um, it looked like offering. It looked like as a congregation, we were going to go and we were going to put offering in the different buckets in front of these different leaders. And all of a sudden, as people went to go reach and grab their money, I stopped for a second and I was like, that doesn't feel right. Like, it, yes, people in the church can be paid and, and get gifts and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't a message about that. But it was like, I don't give my offering to a person. I give my offering to the church. And so something felt a little weird in that as I was watching this vision unfold. And then all of a sudden, the father of the house got up and he said, if there is anyone in the church that has been hurt by any one of these people, I want you to write it down and I want you to go put it in the white bucket. And um, the, the room was stone silent. Like there, you could have heard a pin drop in this church, in this, in this room. And I sat there for a second and I thought, you can't say anything. You can't do that. I'm not going to do that. And, but there was this battle inside me and I was like, but you, but you have hurt. But I'm like, yeah, but you can't say that. And I was going back and forth, and all of a sudden I realized I can't lie to myself. I have to be honest with myself. And there, he's asking, and there was, there was a hurt. And so I wrote it down on the card, and I was the first one to get up. And I went and I put it in, in a bucket, and all of a sudden somebody else got up and did it. And then somebody else got up. And for 45 minutes, there was this acknowledgement of, I love you, but I've been hurt. I love you, but I've been hurt. And the sweetest thing happened. All of a sudden, all these people came off the stage and they came down to the body, to the, to the flock. And there was hugging and embracing and there was tears. The, 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 the leaders didn't lose their authority. They didn't lose their position. But we were operating like a family rather than the separation between us and them or they're on the stage and there's, there's unaddressed hurts and that type of thing. And I just, I thought that was such an amazing vision that God gave me. And it, I think it was months later, I was still kind of unpacking some of it. And I, I thought it was so interesting that those that have caused the pain didn't ask for forgiveness. That actually the father of the house, I think in the, in the um, vision, the father of the house was actually representative of Jesus. Because Jesus is always inviting us to the cross. He's always inviting us to come and to forgive and to release that stuff. We don't need to wait for an invitation to do that. And the person that we feel like has wronged us, we don't need to wait for them to come to us. That's part of the gift of, of being a believer, that we can just go ahead and we can do that um, anytime. And so Jesus was um, inviting us to do that. But here's, here's the other part of the vision that I feel like is so important. People come to the church. I know I've had my own journey with it. But people come to the church not fully knowing who they are. They come to the church as orphans. They come to the church wounded. They come to the church with expectation. They come to the church with different needs. Come on. There's some people that have been in you know, five, six, seven generations of believers. There's other people in the church that have not even read a full chapter in the Bible yet. Like everybody's just in a different, a different place. And it's like we come to the church and we expect our leaders to give us what we didn't get from mom and dad. We expect for them to see us and to, to acknowledge us and to, to champion us and to, to cheer us on. And I think all that's good, but we can come as an orphan and we can come with an expectation that is not right. And it wasn't so much in the vision about them, about these people being on stage, like, like trying to promote themselves, but it was more about how the people were looking at them, like the eyes were on them, like, oh, if only you'd see me. And there, there was like a, like a wrong exulting. Does that make sense? 
And I feel like in this vision, there was, there was, God was really going after like the expectations of people that we put on leaders. And when we have these expectations that they would be our Jesus, that they would be the ones to give us permission and they would be the ones to like um, manage our whole destiny and our identity, we're going we're gonna to get hurt because no man can be for us what only Jesus can be. Yeah, come on, you guys, this is good. I feel like we're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of this. There's nothing wrong with wanting a mother and father to champion us like that. And part of it really is kingdom. But there can be a place where it becomes an expectation, where our eyes become on man and it becomes super unhealthy. Now watch this. Watch what happens. If you have a young child and they get really wounded by their mom and dad, let's just say a child gets really wounded by mom. Just by the nature of the child, that child is going to lock eyes with mom and she's going to spend an adequate amount of her life focused on mom to, to try to have that. Okay, so let's just say she felt, um, she felt uh, rejected, okay? And there's a, there's a deep wound there. The rest of her days, her eyes are going to be fixated on mom. Do you reject me? Do you reject me? Are we good? Are we good? And she's going to look for evidence of I'm rejected or I'm not rejected. That's just the nature of a child and their dependency upon a parent. That's where dysfunction, that's where family wounds come from, okay? But when it happens in the church and we have expectations of leaders and that are, that are expectations that we really should be having of Jesus or our dependency on Jesus. And what happens is we get, we get hurt from that but then our eyes lock onto the leader and there becomes like an idol worship. And I don't mean idol worship in like, woo, idol, like rock star idol worship. It's idol worship in saying, I'm, as, I'm only as good as that leader sees me. I'm only as powered as that leader empowers me. I'm only as blank, blank, blank as that leader gives me. And some of that, some of that role is reserved for Jesus. And we're putting our, um, we're putting our eyes on man where it needs to be on Jesus. And when we do that, we're going to get hurt. There's going to be hurt with that. Um, and what I, I want to invite you into a little bit more of a personal journey here and say that I've had an, a, a tremendous journey of inner healing from the hurts and the pains and the trauma that I've endured as a child. And I can say that I was in a pretty good place and I was feeling pretty, pretty, pretty good, operating pretty fruitfully. Until I encountered somebody who spoke words over me, and it was like whatever was taken from me. I, come on, you guys. I feel like this right here is going to um, be massive for some of you. This, this right here is, is going to be huge. So, um, so what happened is in my childhood, you could say that I was knocked down, Okay. And so then I, then I find Jesus, and Jesus is building me back up, and he's, he's restoring and redeeming. And so I'm now in this newfound place of like, wow, God is amazing. And this person who I respected and who I loved and who I honored and I was looking up to spoke a word over me. And um, we can say that word today. We could say that word wasn't loving. It wasn't kind. It wasn't of the Father, and it wasn't very helpful. But that word came, and it's like it, 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 uh, um, it was the same word, it was the same message that I had received in childhood. And it was, it's like it, there's one thing about when you have to get up and use your muscles, it's another thing when you've been knocked down and you have to get up again, that it can be extremely painful. In fact, it can be very crippling. And this is something that actually took me some, a couple of years to actually get over. And the Lord told me one day, as he said, Lisa, as he said, 
the same spirit that was in operation with your mom was the same spirit in operation behind why this person said that over you. And it took me about six months to, to discern, well, what was that spirit? See, when my mom died, um, you could say that I no longer engaged with that spirit or I no longer engaged because she, she was gone. And then God brought me into this. Okay, so let me go back. So, so it took me about six weeks to discern it. And it was the spirit of intimidation. That the spirit of intimidation just had to say boo. And I went, ooh, and I would cower. I would just absolutely shrink when there was any type of intimidation over me. And I didn't know how to, um, how to respond other than get hurt. So let's look at it this way. You could say that I felt a hurt and that I had been processing that hurt. But let's zoom out for a second and let's look at a bigger picture. What if God knew that I was taken out by that spirit of intimidation growing up? And what if God did do a great healing process in me, so my soul, so I had forgiven, I, had, I, I was um, walking well, I, I, you know, I wasn't crippled from that. But then when this person spoke it with that same spirit behind it, and I felt like it took me out a little bit again, what if God was saying in that situation? What if this just wasn't about me being hurt? But what if that was about God saying, baby girl, <laughs> baby girl, that spirit wounded you. That spirit that was not of my spirit wounded you. You overcame the hurts. And now I'm going to teach you how to have authority over it. And the way that I had to learn my authority over it was in by encountering it by encountering it and in that i got to overcome by walking in authority over it how many of you are having hurts right now in, in the church and you actually mentally can say yeah i had a part of this in childhood or i've experienced this before with my mom and dad or i experienced this with my siblings and oh shoot why is it revisiting me in the church what if it's no longer a soul hurt or in your soul, but it's actually God trying to equip you in the spirit realm with authority. It's as if God is saying, Lisa, I'm done with that spirit of intimidation affecting your life. I'm actually going to bring you up and I'm going to give you um, tools to walk in that authority so that that spirit of intimidation does not hurt other people. I just think that's good. I just think that that's a bigger perspective of some of the hurts that we have in the church. I think that's a good father. All right. I don't even know where I'm at right here with my notes. But um, uh, yeah, so the same spirit, God was giving me some authority over that. And I believe he's doing the same thing over you. Um, there we go. Number four. The fourth thing that I think a lot of people, a lot of reasons why people get hurt into the church is because they do not understand the heart of family. And this right here, the little blurb that I'm going to give you is really the heart behind Let the Children Fly. There's this belief that family looks like mom and dad are wise, mom and dad are older, smarter, have more money, have traveled more places, can stay up later, you know, mom and dad are all the bigs, right? And that there's these helpless little creatures that come into the world and it's mom and dad's job to like bring them up. And there's like a hierarchy within the family. Well, that's one way of looking at family, but I don't think that's God's perspective. I think God's perspective of the family is like a circle. And I think, yes, 
mom and dad have an authority and mom and dad are the ones that do call the shots and they are the ones because they are wiser smarter and have been around they are the ones that god has said you're you're designed and you are there to keep them safe and to, to make sure that they're okay and to meet their needs obviously children are not supposed to be orphans but what if it didn't look like this what if it actually looked like this and what if um i wholeheartedly believe this and and, and again this is part of the backbone of let the children fly that when God is knitting together that child, that child is not made in your image. He's not made in your image, and thank you, Jesus, for part of that. He's made in his image, that child is made in God's image, but with you in mind. So he's knitting together that child, and he's like, wow, mom never got joy growing up, so I'm going to put all this extra joy in this child. Wow, dad needs to learn this, and so I'm going to wire this child accordingly, and it becomes family. Where mom and dad, yes, we teach and equip and we're, we protect and we do all these things for children. But our children come and they bring something to us too. They bring childlike joy, which our brains need. That releases a chemical in our brains. They bring the fearlessness of the world and the wonder and the awe. And they bring this fresh revelation and this fresh amazingness of a lot of things that have been shut down for us. And that's family. That God knew what he was doing when he brought that child. Hear this. When people come to me and they say, I have a child that we're just constantly like this, I know almost almost always it is not an issue of the child being bad or or needing more discipline. It's generally something in the mom and dad that need to come into an alignment. And it's actually a there's a battle going on between are the parents actually gonna shut the child down? Or is the child being used to bring to awaken something in the parent? So if that's God's design for family, do we not think that that also goes for God's family? Do we not think that when we're in the church and God knew that you were going to live in this town, this city, and be a part of this church and this community and this ministry, do we not think and do we not know that God's like, wow, this, this leader is amazing. But this leader is falls short right here. Or I want to grow this leader in this area. So I'm going to bring this person who carries this. Ooh, they're going to be on the same ministry team. Ooh, they're going to have the same passions. Oh, they're going to be whatever. And and people get triggered. They get triggered. And there's a, there's a, there's a crisis in that moment. And it's not that you got triggered that's the big deal. It's not that there's conflict that is the, that's the big deal. Or that even that you got hurt. It's what you do with it that becomes the big deal, that becomes the difference between our increasing our capacity and wholeness and in in being healed or actually furthering on those wounds onto somebody else. Triggers are your friends. Triggers are those places in our heart that are, that are not refined. They hold trauma, abuse, neglect, shame, worry, anxiety, being shut down, those places of feeling inadequate, those places of feeling unwanted. And the Lord, by God's design, brings people not... Not just so that you feel great and wonderful and, 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 and like the glass is always half full. Yes, there's a time and a place for that. But God knows what he's doing and he brings people that touch on those places. Yes, okay, there's hurt when you touch them. So that you can grow and you can open up. This is by God's design. This is by God's design. Conflict isn't God's design, but he knows that it's already in there. And he has a solution for it. We would, we would be hurt a lot less if we understood the purpose of it. Um, it when, when, when there's conflict, 
you can be bitter and you can be upset and you can wallow in that and you can be whatever. Or you can go, okay, there's conflict. Okay, there's a trigger here. Ew, ow. Wow. I have, an, I have an area that I get to be more like Jesus. How is that a bad thing? That's a good thing. Okay. The number one complaint in families, for those of you that are parents, you're all screaming at me right now. The number one complaint, again, that parents have about the family is what? Sibling conflict. I've heard this over and over and over again in, in different nations. It's not just American. But they, they say, different countries. But they say, um, oh, you know, family vacation would be so great if there wasn't sibling, conf sibling conflict. Oh, the dinner table would be awesome, except for the family conflict. Oh, yeah, bedtime would be great, except for there's always family conflict or sibling conflict. I mean, you name it. Sibling conflict is everywhere. And this is where siblings are where God puts two people together, boy, girl, older, younger. Um, even my twins have this. Come on. My twins have this, obviously. But they have this, and they come together, and that's where God says, okay, mom and dad, there's conflict. This is where this person gets to raise up. And this is where this person gets to decrease. It's called family. It's called growing. It's called capacity. This is by God's design. <laughs> if God didn't have a design and a plan for this, he would have put this person and this person and this person and this person in the same family. Now everybody's compatible. And everybody just flows exactly the same way. Name a family that's like that. There's always that conflict and that they're rubbing each other so that we can grow and be more like him. Come on. The fact that there's an issue is not the problem. It's what we do with it that's the problem. Orphans cannot handle the mess. And I'm talking about leaders or, or, or the rest of us. Uh, orphans cannot handle the mess, and they do whatever they can to get rid of the mess or the person bringing the mess, whereas sons and daughters see that messes are opportunities for growth and for increasing our capacity. That's good. Okay. Um, I have watched so many people, if this is the family that God has designed in the church, in our biological families, but also in the church, and this is how God has designed it. I have watched so many people come so eager into a body of Christ, so eager, so, so, so in love with Jesus, so hungry. And I've watched them start to interact as family and they're, they're like, Ooh, that didn't feel good. Ooh, that didn't feel right. And again, I think it goes back to number one. They're not giving their their hearts or their pain of voice, and they're not validating it. So it's getting toxic in there. Um, so, so I think that's part of it. But I've watched them, and they go, and then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. And they leave the church, and they walk out. Um, man, people, please, I want you to understand what I'm about ready to tell you here. This part is key. I'm, I'm, exposing, I'm exposing this big time right now in this family meeting tonight. I've watched them leave. They've said, I can't take the isolation anymore. I can't take the heat anymore. I can't take the disempowerment. I can't take not being seen anymore. I can't take the hurt. I can't take that orphanist anymore. I cannot be underneath that anymore. And they've left. They can't take the shame and they, they, um, they, can't, they can't manage it anymore. Well, God never called you to manage that. God called you to do something about it. He called you to deal with it. He called you to grow through it. He called you to, to use the tools of heaven in those situations. Hard? Yeah. Didn't we all sign up to surrender and die to our lives and to follow him? Come on, guys. This is where stuff gets hard sometimes. But, um, but this is what happens. It's because people are not processing it God's way. They start blaming. They start judging. 
they start being critical. They start harboring bitterness in order to manage the pain. And the problem is, is that that only opens them up to the demonic. So if we think this was bad, dealing with this orphaness or this orphan part, you've now just opened yourself up to the wrong kingdom in the wrong way, in the, with, the, with the wrong force. Come on, you open up that door, it's called a foothold. The enemy will take advantage of that. And if it was hard dealing with that orphan part, now you're managing this much of that because you've partnered with the enemy in that area. Um, God says to honor your mother and father so that it goes well with you. That's what it says. Because he says, honor thy mother and father so that it blesses you, that you will have a long life. And I believe that because family, the biological family um, mimics or, or the, the, the church family it mimics the biological family and that they both are so important to the father's heart that when he says honor the mother and father, he also means honor those that are over you, honor those that are in authority. And, and, and just like what I said earlier about false honor or about an inferior operating system of honor, um, I hope that made sense. Um, we want to honor them, not by being silent. We want to honor them by working out that pain and about bringing that to the Lord. But we want to um, we want to honor them. The greatest way to honor them is to process it and get back in the game and get back in the game. You are not honoring your mother and father. You are not honoring the body of Christ and the family that God has called you to as sons and daughters by getting hurt and walking away. You are not honoring. And the Bible says we don't honor for their benefit. We honor for our benefit. <sighs> that you would see this, that you would come back. Number five, one of the, um, this is the last one I'm going to go after. But the, uh, another reason why people get so hurt in the body of Christ is they simply do not understand who the enemy is. They think that the orphan part in that leader is the enemy. They think people are the enemies. And that's not, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we fight flesh and uh, we don't fight flesh and blood, but we fight the spirit behind it. Remember what I said about my journey, my childhood journey, and then my journey um, with getting my heart hurt. It was not about the person; it was about the spirit behind it. That God was equipping me to overcome. It wasn't just with the person. Um, for for a month, it was like thirty days. All I kept hearing in the spirit was God just kept saying abortion, abortion. It's all he said. It was so strong. And obviously there's a lot going on in America with laws and full-term abortions and all that kind of stuff. And so it's kind of like a, an uprising right now. And I thought, Lord, are you asking me to, to do something about it or to get involved or to use my platform? Or what is this, Lord? Why do I just keep hearing abortion? Every time I turn around, abortion, abortion. And finally the Lord started to really bring the revelation. And he said, Lisa, he said, you have an enemy. We all have an enemy, and he hates you. He hates you. He hates what you carry. He hates your voice. He hates what you do. He hates how you think. He, he hates your revelation. He hates that you get up early and have a quiet time. He hates that you, that you have a value for his word. He hates that you have a value for his presence. He hates your encounters. I mean, hate. He hates that. And he's out to, to, to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's not mincing words. He hates that. And um, um, when there is conflict in the family and when people don't see it as the spirit behind it and they think that there's actually it's the flesh coming at them and they're responding flesh to flesh, 
They're not seeing that the whole purpose of that is so that the enemy comes and gets them to, to perform a spiritual abortion on themselves. So the enemy can't take it. The enemy can't take your destiny and your encounters and your and your worship and your quiet time and going after his presence. He can't take that. But he does maneuver and he does manipulate and he does work and orchestrate things so that we are like, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to use my voice. I'm not going to use my talent. I'm not going to draw. I'm not going to paint. I've been shot down. I've been I've been misunderstood. I've, I've experienced that orphanage and I'm out of here. And the enemy is like, exactly the purpose of that was so that you would create a spiritual abortion on yourself to not to no longer be part of the body of Christ oh that you would see this for every person watching this today for every person that has encountered that and felt that pain and that hurt and has decided to check out and to leave I want you to hear this <clears throat> the reason why God has so much to say about, about natural abortion, about abortion, about ending and terminating pregnancy, is because God wired and knit that child together to be a blessing to the mom and dad and to restore something in that generation, in that generational line. But he wired that child to be the answer and the solution to the world around them. That that child, every child, every child that has breath, every child that was knit together, they carry something that is supposed to be about the body of Christ, that is supposed to be a verb in it to affect the earth today and to, to take back what the enemy has stolen. And to, just like what I said earlier about how um, intimidation um, came and how God has given me authority over it now. Um, every person is a part of that. And he cares when somebody comes and says, I'm going to end this life. And God says, I'm doing something with that. I'm doing something with that child. That child in 20, 30, 40, 50 years is going to be a big part of my kingdom or, or you know, what he wants to do on earth. But when, when somebody says, I've been hurt and I've not understood the full dynamics of what is going on and they come and they perform the spiritual abortion over the, themselves, the rest of us lose. The rest of us lose what you carry, what you what you what you have to say, you are designed and wired to to change the world around you. I dislike art. I I I don't say I dislike it. My my art is words. It's about as detailed as I get with art. I just don't have a value for it. I don't have a, an appreciation for it. And one of my greatest encounters with Father God was over a piece of artwork that that somebody had painted. And what I'm what am I saying with that? I'm saying that every gift is important that every voice every every seed that god has put inside you is needed for the body of christ don't abort yourself and don't abort what god is trying to do on earth today through you because you've been hurt and you've not been able to fully process that or you haven't felt the freedom and the permission to process that oh jesus can't you see the ache and the pain that when we we lose you can't you see that the body of Christ suffers? That when you decide that you're going to leave or you're going to, to, to lay yourself down out of that hurt, can't you see that we miss you? Can't you see that we need you? When I ask the Lord, why? Why are you having me speak with the church when my lane is the family room? Why, what, what, why are you having me do this? <clears throat> 
And the Lord asked me, and he said, what, what do you go after, Lisa? And I said, well, I defeat the works of the devil in the, in the family room. That's what I do. That's what Let the Children Fly does. And he said, how do you do it? And I said, well, I equip parents how to get connected with you, connected with each other, and how to play in the kingdom. That's, that's, that's my mission statement. And God said, Lisa, what's your biggest thing that resists that? What's the biggest thing that you come against that? And I started crying. I started weeping. And I thought, yeah, you're right, Lord. The thing that I come up against the most that robs parents from moving forward in the connection and hearing God's voice in their destiny in um, uh, bringing their children into playing in the kingdom is that they have been hurt by the church. That they've been hurt by the church and they've been disempowered and they've been sidelined and how it's affecting their connection with him and it's affecting, affecting the next generation. When I was walking through my journey years ago, uh, my children were a part of that. And um, one of my children said to me, Mom, what's the point of church? Why do we even go? Like, can't you just like send in your tithe and we can worship at home? Like, like what's the point of church? And my heart just was grieved. And I said, oh, no, baby. Oh, no. The church might hurt us. The church might misunderstand us. The church might not get us, might not see us might not give us all the attention that we desire. The church might miss us. The church might be orphaned. The church might have leaders that are still in a process, but we will not give up on the body of Christ. We will not, we will not leave the church. That the church is there because God or Jesus is the head and we have, been, we have the privilege of being a part of his body and we will not, we will not leave the church. And I realized at that moment how many how much of the assignments of the hurts in the family, in the body of Christ today with moms and dads today is actually so that the next generation can reap the fruit of learning, oh, the church hurts. The church isn't fair. The church doesn't listen. The church is this. The church is that. The church is whatever. And it's the next generation that's watching. Oh, I, can, I, I don't know that I could ever think of another generation that needed to be in the church and needed to know their identity more than this next generation that how you are handling that hurt and how you are walking this out and how you are stewarding your journey, coming up against other people's journey, literally is making a life and death um, influence for the next generation. Get back in the church for the next generation. Resolve it, whatever you need to do to resolve it for the next generation. Do not let them suffer because the enemy came to attack and the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy, and you partnered with it. Don't let them suffer because of that. Don't hand them over to it. Bring them back into the church. Come back into the fold because they carry a destiny, and your child will never be full, and your child will never fully have that void. I don't care how perfect you are. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how perfect their world is around them. Even if there's perfection, they still will have a void in their heart, and that void is reserved. For Jesus Christ. It's for their creator to fill and to, for him to fill alone. And they will only find their full purpose on earth and happiness and be able to honor you the way that we desire that God commands is by finding their destiny. And you can only find that in the church. Whew, come on. I want to I leave you with this. Kind of a funny story. Um, I uh, met with a leader here um, in my community and she 
was sharing with me that she keeps getting these amazing ideas and she launches this ministry. It gets it to a certain point. She starts getting seen and then she shuts it down. And then she gets another idea and she, she launches it and it's super fruitful and it gets to a certain point of being successful and she shuts it down. And she said, I've been doing this for years and years and years. And she said, all of a sudden, God's given me something else. And she said, but this one scares me because I know I'm supposed to keep going with it. And I don't know what that, excuse me, I don't know what that block is. I don't know what keeps getting me to like shrink back after it gets to a certain point. And so we started doing some ministry and she was sharing that when she first got here, like nine years ago, another leader invited her onto a platform and to, to release what she carried and, and whatnot. And she showed up that day and she didn't do very good. She, she just didn't do very good. She didn't feel prepared. She didn't feel supported. She didn't even have any time to connect with the rest of the team. It was kind of like a, here, shine. And, and my friend just she kind of botched it a little bit. And so she so wanted to go back to the leader and talk to the leader and, and, and just to kind of be heard and explain her heart. And she said instead, the leader just kind of cut her off and, and just never invited her back. And there was just never conversation. And all these years later, there's never been any um, connection or communication whatsoever. And it's been super crippling for my friend because she's like, well, what if I get too big? And what if that happens again? And that was so painful. And I said to my friend, I said, oh, I said, did you have a problem that this leader said you weren't ready? And she was like, nope, not at all. Did you have a problem that you didn't do a very good job? Like, is that, you know, are you okay with that? She's like, oh, yeah, I totally agree. I didn't do a very good job. And so I kept asking her a series of questions, and her heart was right. Her heart was right. And I said, friend, I said, what you needed in that moment is you needed for that leader to give you the gift of a mother and father you needed them to see you, to hear you, to value you, to give you instructions of feedback, but to, to shepherd you, to, to, to communicate, hey, that seed inside you is worthy, and, and maybe this is what needs to happen to grow your capacity, and I would love to see you come back down the road, and, and, and that type of, of, of gift. And my friend started crying, and she said, that's exactly what I needed, and that's exactly why I won't continue to step out, because I feel the absence of that, okay? So we worked it all out. She got set free from that. Thank you, Jesus. And I said, she's a good friend of mine. And I said, okay, I said, um, could I turn the tables now on you? And I needed some help with a situation. <clears throat> this is kind of funny when I tell the story. But I said, yeah, there's, there's um, some leader friends of mine, and we were working on a project together and whatnot. And I said to her, I said, um, uh, I reached out to them, and I was I was being a daughter, and I was being crazy brave, and I said, hey, do you think, and I, I kind of presented my thing to him, and it was big, and um, as soon as I was done doing it, I kind of went like, oh my gosh, that, that was a little too big, Lisa, like, you know, a little too big for your britches there, and, but I knew my heart was a daughter, I knew my heart was right, but you know that proverb that says it's better to be invited to the king's table than to ask and be sent away, and so I, I got convicted, and so I was asking my friend, hey, this is what I did, how do I backpedal and kind of like put them out of their misery of, of me putting them in that place? And she said, oh, with those particular leaders, they're great. Just go ahead and just be honest with them. And so as we're wrapping up this time together, my phone goes off and it goes into a to, you know, voice text, whatever. And I get back in my car and I was like, oh yeah, I got to listen to that message really quick. And here is the leader that I had been so brave with. And this is what she said. I can almost quote you on the message that she left me. She said, oh, Lisa, she said, yeah, my husband and I, we got your message. And she said, 
man, we are so proud of you. She said, that's a pretty big request. And she goes, we are so thankful that you value us so much to be that brave. And we just think that's awesome. And she said, you, you're, you were putting some things out there that helped us to like increase our capacity, like, like expand their thinking. And she said, we really valued that. And she said, we actually spent some time praying and talking about it. And we just feel like we're not there yet. And she said, we would love to see this, this, and this happen in order to get there with you and in order to grow with you. And she said these words. She said, Lisa, this is not rejection. We love you. We are for you. We are proud of you. And let's go ahead and work out a plan to get there. I tell you, that was brilliant leadership. I was done listening to that message and I had tears in my eyes and I felt like Wonder Woman. I felt like I, felt like I could conquer the world. And I'm like, I think she just rejected me. Not really, but she turned me down. And I was like, I feel so empowered. I feel so seen. I feel so alive. And I, so, so this leader just modeled for me and gave me the gift that I was telling my friends that the absence of having that, that created the wound or the, the, um, the lack for her, the disempowerment of being able to fully step out and be fully alive. And I just, I just want to highlight that. Because we actually, as leaders, can tell people no. We actually can oversee whatever it is that God's given us. We can actually tell people, hey, I don't think you're ready yet, or hey, that wouldn't be a good idea, or whatever. But we can do it in a way that is not managing them, but actually is giving them the gift and empowering them. And it, come on, that's God's kingdom. That is God's kingdom. I love that. I love that. I love that. I'm going to end with this very last thing. Please, please, for those of you that have been so hurt in the, in, in, in the church, and I know some of you that are watching today, I know your stories. I've heard your stories, and they are painful. They are super, super painful. I am so sorry for what has happened to you. It's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay by Jesus' standard. It's not okay by, by a healthy body standard. It's just not okay, and I'm sorry for that. But please, do not amputate yourself. Do not amputate yourself from the body because you're not going to find whole um, healing and wholeness by being amputated. I had my tonsils out decades ago, and I kept them. I still have them in a jar. They're still tonsils. They still look the same in formaldehyde. <laughs> Great show and tell. But they don't function unless they're in the body. They're not alive. They're, they're still there, but they're, but they're not functioning. Come back to the body. The body welcomes you. The body loves you. The body needs you. The body desires to show you what family is. God wants you there. God knit you together to be there, to be the answer. For those of you that have the seeds of art, of dance, of, of song, of worship, of teaching, preaching, revelation, hearing God's voice, whatever it is, the body needs you. The, I, I met with a man, a young man, yesterday, and he has the gift of writing comic books and taking the Bible and writing in comic form. You are needed. You are needed in the body of Christ. So we just bless you. We want to welcome you back home, and we want to say there's room for you. And it is not true. It is not true that there's a guard at the door or that you've messed up or that you, you are not worthy or you are not wanted. Come back home. Come back home and function in part of the body the way that God has designed. So I want to... Um, I want you to put your hand on your heart. I want you to put your hand on your heart. And I want you to repeat after me. 
And just like we were talking about honor and how honor can be used in an inferior operating system. And we want to take honor and we want to put that back in, in alignment with how Father God wants us to honor. I want you to put your hand on your heart and I want you to repeat after me. I want you to say, Holy Spirit, I invite you to take my spirit out from underneath any place that it does not belong and to realign it back with the Holy Spirit. I take my spirit out from underneath any place, any person, any, any orphan, any in, inferior operating system. I take my spirit out from underneath that and I align it with the Holy Spirit so that I can get connected with Father God and I can operate the way that he has intended. I give you permission to walk in the fullness that God has called you to walk in. And I just want to invite you, as, I, as we're ending right now, I want to invite you to put in some worship music. And I want you to let Father God just minister to your heart, to your soul, to your mind, to your experiences, to, to, to just the things that you have been walking through. And I want to remind you of that vision of the buckets and of the stage. You don't need to wait for somebody to come and ask for forgiveness. You can go ahead and bring it to the cross. You can bring it to the cross and you can get that made right with you and God. All right. I'm here. Reach out to me. Send me a private message. I love you. I want you back home. I want you back with the family. We need you. Right. Be blessed. In Jesus' name.